0: to read I'm going to read for us from God's word the book of acts chapter 17 today and I'm going to read through to verse 15 acts chapter 17 now when they had passed through amphipolis and apollonia they came to thessalonica where there was a synagogue of the Jews and paul went in as was his custom and on three sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead, and saying, this Jesus, whom I proclaim to you, is the Christ. And some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks and not a few of the leading women. But the Jews were jealous, and taking some wicked men of the rabble, they formed a mob And when they had taken money as security from Jason and the rest, they let them go. The brothers immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the Jewish synagogue. Now, these Jews were more noble than those in Thessalonica. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. Many of them therefore believed, with not a few Greek women of high standing as well as men. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was proclaimed by Paul at Berea also, they came there too, agitating and stirring up the crowds. Then the brothers immediately sent Paul off on his way to the sea, but Silas and Timothy remained there. Those who conducted Paul brought him as far as Athens, And after receiving a command for Silas and Timothy to come to him as soon as possible, they departed. Amen. These men who have turned the world upside down. Friends, I don't know if there is any better description of what it means to be a follower of the Lord Jesus Christ. The men who shout those words here in our passage, they mean that phrase as a term of abuse, of course, don't they? These people, they're saying, are, are ruining the world. They're wrecking everything that we know and love. But sometimes what people say in anger, they say better than they know. The people who follow Jesus turn the world upside down. These men are defying Caesar's decrees, saying that there is another king, another king, Jesus. As God is spreading his good news of his son through the world, it's going east and west and north and south. The gospel is beginning to grow. Sometimes God even uses people who do not know him to speak the truth about him. Christian people the world over live our lives don't we simply saying to people around us it is as simple as this Jesus is king Jesus is king you want to know the christian life in a nutshell what what why do we do the things we do live the way we do because Jesus is our king he is the one we follow not Donald Trump not Nicholas Sturgeon not Boris Johnson not Apple, not Westminster, not Washington. Jesus is my king. We follow the other king, don't we? Another king. The, the, the king that the world doesn't have much time for. They look Jesus up and down and like something discarded on a building site, no longer fit for purpose. Jesus has been thrown on the scrap heap of world history by so many people. And he's the king we follow and know and love. And because he is, then as we move through this world, the things that we cherish and the goals that we pursue and the ambitions that we nurture, the things we love, the people we esteem, the idols we combat, all of these things take the world as we know it and turn it upside down. What is life like in Jesus' kingdom? What, what sort of king is he? What does he love? What does he hate? Who does he esteem? How does he call us to live? My job today in this short time together is just to show us how straightforwardly simple this, this part of the Bible is as the gospel spreads. Verses one to nine, the good news of Jesus reaches Thessalonica. Verses 10 to 15, under the cover of darkness, the gospel reaches a place called Berea. Two places. Two different reactions to the good news about Jesus. As the news of him takes hold in both these cities, people come to know and love him. You see that in verse 4? Some of them were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a great many of the devout Greeks, not a few of the leading and not a few of the leading women. Verse 12, many of them therefore believed. And that is still happening today in our world, in our in our own church family, students in our midst, new believers, people coming to faith for the first time. As people believe in Jesus, what are they signing up for? What are they now doing? So there's this similarity in both of these both of both of these cities. People are believing. And yet also there is a difference, a near riot in one city, while there is quiet humble belief in the other city. I want to show you two things as we look at this passage, these these two sections together. Number one, friends, don't forget, never forget whose rule it is we submit to. Don't forget whose rule we submit to. And number two, don't forget whose voice we listen to. Don't forget whose voice we listen to. We have a rule That we gladly bend our knee to. There is a voice that we gladly bend our ear to. Don't forget who it is in either case. Number one. Don't forget whose rule we submit to. There is a really explosive truth here. In what this angry mob are shouting. They might be doing it in verse 5. They might be doing it out of jealousy. It's explicitly what the, the text says. Doesn't it? That the Jews were jealous. They grab Uh, A mob set the city in uproar and they are shouting these angry words. These men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. They just seem intent on a riot or a fight. But there is an explosive truth in what they are saying here and it's this. Following the Lord Jesus Christ is a political statement. Following the Lord Jesus Christ is always, always deeply political. Now, we don't often say that sort of thing in our church family, do we? We don't often hear that. But just think about our church family with all its different political affiliations within it. I guess it's one of the virtues, I think, of a church family that people come to different conclusions, hold different opinions. I think we're likely to be all over the map, aren't we, as a church family of who we would vote for. But make no mistake, friends, the Christian faith never, ever says, look, you have politics here and you have the church here and those two things never touch. They're two separate spheres. Following Jesus in this sphere has nothing to do with this sphere. No. Following the Lord Jesus has everything to do with politics because... To be a Christian, to be a follower, a Christ follower, is to say that we submit to Christ's rule first of all, and all other rulers second. Don't forget whose rule we submit to. We don't submit to anybody else first, apart from Jesus So we submit to Westminster, we submit to Holyrood, we submit to Washington, wherever it is in the world we live. We submit to all human rulers as far as their rule and their policies and their procedures do not lead us away from Jesus's rule and his kingdom. We submit to them so long as they do not clash with Christ and his living word and who he is and who he says we should be. Can you see that here in in, in Thessalonica? This event and these words in verses 6 to 7, they show a clash of kingdoms, don't they? A clash of politics, a clash of political power. These men, these Christians, are all acting against the decrees of Caesar. That's what these people say. There is one world leader. In fact, in these days, a world superpower. A world superpower like no other in the ancient world. When Caesar raised his voice, you listened. When he lifted his hand, you obeyed. His rule was law. Some Caesars, you know, in the ancient world were regarded either as divine in their own lifetimes or after they died. And when an emperor brought peace into the world, brought liberty, victory, security, it was thought that those things were divine gifts. This was God himself acting through this man. Some Caesars were known as the son of God. Some Caesars took the title saviour. That's how they viewed themselves. And Into that great world of marbled halls and the imperial senate chamber that just issued edict after edict after edict about how you should live and what was acceptable and what was unacceptable. Into that world now come Paul and Silas and they are speaking, verse 3, speaking about another king, the Christ. That's all the word Christ means, it's a royal title, it means king, anointed one. Into that world of power, here they come speaking about another king. What does he do in verse 3? He suffered and died on a Roman instrument of shameful execution and rose again from the dead. It was necessary for the king to suffer and to rise. And these angry men in Thessalonica, in all their rage, oh friends, they get it. They get it. They understand. They see it so clearly Hang on a minute, you are saying there is another king. I want to ask you today as you as you watch and listen, very simple question. Whose rule do you follow most quickly? Who, whose rule are you quick to obey when you hear it given, issued? Our government or the Lord Jesus Christ? Who calls the shots of your life? This is not an abstract question, is it? It's not remote. It's very real for us. Who defines what marriage is? Holyrood, Westminster, America, our government, or Jesus and his word? Who says what a family is for, a government or Jesus? Who says what money is for and how it should be used? Who says... What sex is for and where it comes from, why it was given, how it should be used. Who says what sort of person you should be or not be? Who gets to call the shots in your life and draw the lines and set the boundaries and the parameters? Friends today, never forget whose rule we submit to. Government is good. Praise God for good government. In our our part of the world, there are many freedoms. Whatever your frustrations and anxieties and worries and angers about our government, government in our part of the world, on the whole, is good and grants freedoms. It's not so for everybody, is it, in every part of the world? Government is there to be obeyed and submitted to. But only in so far as it does not stop us submitting to Jesus as king. Treasuring his voice above all others. And when it does try to stop us, oh friends, we need to see this. It is Jesus first, Jesus last and Jesus and his rule all the way and no one else. Never forget whose rule we submit to. Can I say today that if you are a Christian and you are a member of the SNP or a member of the Labour Party or a member of the Tory party or the Green Party or the Lib Dems or however many other parties there are. And if you are a believer and a member of one of those parties and if you think exactly the same way as the party on all its issues across the board. It is likely that you are submitting to their rule. Not Jesus' rule. For following Jesus and his kingdom will always, always, somewhere down the line, bring us into conflict with every other kingdom. Somewhere, maybe in all these different parties, it will be at different points in each of their systems. But you get my point? Following Christ will clash somewhere. Will lead to sharp elbows coming back towards us. Hurtful Difficult words. Who shapes your view of the world most deeply? Acts chapter 17. The message of the Bible as the gospel spreads is that it must not be Westminster. It must not be Holyrood. It must be the kingdom ruled by a man who bled and died upon a cross. You know, someone has said that the king who dies is the king of a very strange kingdom. It's true, isn't it? A king who dies is the king of a very strange kingdom. Friends, these men and women here in Acts turned the world upside down because they believed the exact opposite of what everybody else around them believed. When we submit to all other rulers first, instead of to Jesus first, then we just end up looking and sounding the same as everybody else around us, don't we? We have nothing that is inside out and back to front and upside down about us at all. We are neutral. Beige, bland, grey people, the same as everybody else. But that is not what happens here in Acts. The gospel was birthed into a world where there was no Christian culture. There was no Christian nation, Christian principles of government. All there was was outright paganism. Hatred and opposition and hostility to the gospel. Along came Paul and Silas with a fragile gospel. The message of a man crucified, bleeding to death on a Roman instrument of torture. Weak, shameful, humble. That's our King. That's the man we follow. I want to encourage you today to follow, friends, the other king. The other king. Follow him joyfully, courageously. The world's true king. Do so even if all around you accuse you of wrecking their world. It's very possible maybe you have stopped following Jesus in lockdown. I think that's very possible for many people. Routine is different, your habits are different, all the structures that took you to church week by week and held you there are fraying and fragmenting. Truth be told, you're kind of wondering if you'll come back to church at all. Maybe you haven't stopped following Jesus, but you're beginning to wonder, will it be worth it to try and get back? It's going to be difficult to get back together. It's not because there are new local rulers on the throne of your life no it is because you have pushed jesus off the throne and you are now enthroned once where he used to sit you now sit once where his voice used to reign supreme you listen to yourself constructing yourself enthroning yourself you're the king now friend. self on the throne always somewhere in the end somewhere somehow leads to disaster and ruin, if not in this life, certainly in the next. Can I say to our young folk, our precious young folk in our church family, you are beginning to find your own way in the world and create your own identities, finding yourself as you uh, do that painful process of, in some ways, disassociating yourself from your parents and finding your your own way of being who you truly are and want to be in the world. You are more precious to us than we can say. More precious to us than even your parents can ever, ever manage to communicate to you. Friends, you are more precious to God. More precious to God than you know. Can I urge you not to fall. Not to fall for the lie of self-construction. Self-identifying. self choosing who you will be that is what everybody else around you is doing you're free do what you want to do be who you want to be choose to be x or choose to be y don't make up the rules to life as you go along let the lord jesus be your king let him tell you what is good and right and true Let him tell you what it means to be a young man or a young woman. Submit to his rule before anybody else's. And very simply, you will grow to be a flourishing, flowering, fruitful, majestic oak tree in God's kingdom and in his world. You will have deep, deep roots that will bring light and life and goodness to your soul all the days of your life. You know this language here in these verses about there being another king, Jesus, you know I find that language personally. this may help to share this with you. I find this language really helpful for sharing the good news about Jesus when the opportunity arises. you know you know what it's like? People often often catch you off guard, don't they? Why do you believe that? Someone says to you what what is it about all this Christian stuff? Why do you do that on a Sunday or this with your time or your money? You don't really believe that, do you? Why do you think that is wrong when everyone else says it's right? Well, who made you Lord and King? Why do you Christians think you're so much better than everybody else? You know, what? one simple answer when all those different types of questions come my way, one simple answer I found is to say, very simply, I believe there is another king. I follow Jesus as king. The, the reason I believe these things is because I don't write the rules of the world. I don't make this up as I go along. I don't call the shots for me. Jesus does. Do you know anything about Jesus? Have you heard of him? Can I tell you about him? Do you want to read about him with me? Jesus is king. The other king, the world's true king. Friends, never forget whose rule we submit to. And number two, never forget whose voice we listen to. Never forget whose voice we listen to. See, the question is, if Jesus is king, how does he rule us? If Jesus is king, how does he rule us? The answer is, with his voice. With his voice, the scepter that Christ extends into the world as king is the scepter of his living word, his voice. Do you know there's a story that James VI of Scotland was notoriously rude when attending worship services. Really rude and abusive to the preacher. And on one occasion he was seated in his gallery with several courtiers around him while Robert Bruce was preaching. And in his usual way, King James began just to talk to those around him during the sermon, muttering out loud. And Bruce paused mid-flow. The king fell silent. The minister resumed preaching and so did King James with his talking. Bruce fell silent again. Same result. When the king committed that offence for the third time, Bruce turned. Can you imagine this? A preacher turning to the monarch, the most powerful person in the land. Bruce turned and addressed King James directly. Here's what he said. It is said to have been an expression of the wisest of kings. Wise kings have said this. When the lion roars, all the beasts of the field are quiet. The Lion of the tribe of Judah is now roaring in this place the voice of his gospel and it becomes all the petty kings of the earth to fall silent. Friends, that is what Paul and Silas were saying in Thessalonica. When King Jesus speaks, let all rulers of the earth fall silent. Let Caesar himself shut his mouth bow his head in humble submission. Rulers, lords, emperors, be quiet. We will attend now to what Jesus says before we come to what you say. And in verses 10 and 11, here of our passage, Paul and Silas move from Thessalonica and they come to Berea where they now find some Jews willing to listen to the voice of King Jesus. Now, these Jews, verse 11, were more noble than those in Thessalonica. What makes you noble if you're religious, if you're Jewish? What makes you noble? How you listen to the Bible. They received the word with all eagerness, examining the scriptures daily to see if these things were so. If you want to know the king. And if you want to follow the king, you have to listen to the king. And to listen to the king, you have to hear him speak in the scriptures. They're all about him. Look at the verbs that are used there. They, they receive the word with all eagerness. Eagerness, that, that's a word to describe the arrival of a moment that you've been looking forward to so, so much. I know that in lockdown you are eager for so many things traveling further than 5 miles 5 miles phase 3 shops opening whatever it is hairdressers your holiday that you cannot wait to be on that's how they approach the bible eager listening and it sends them back to their bibles examining see that next verb ex- next verb examining the scriptures when was the last time you examined the Bible? I, I, I don't mean opened it or read it, just quickly. Examined it, pen or pencil in hand, notebook in hand, mental flashlight on. No cutting corners, but taking the Bible and turning over every stone and looking in every crevice, checking and studying and listening to God speak. You know, when we tell people that Jesus is the other king, the the true king we follow. When we say that to people, it's very important to remember that we haven't just plucked that idea out of thin air. No, it's because we believe the Bible is true. Look look what Paul did back in Thessalonica, back in verse 2. And again, look at the verbs as as I read the verse. Paul went in, as was his custom, and on three Sabbath days he reasoned with them from the scriptures. He reasoned. Explaining and proving that it was necessary for the Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead. uh, That verb there for proving, verse 3, explaining and proving. Proving means literally to to place something beside another thing. To place something beside it. So what Paul is doing here with the Bible is he's saying, look, here's your Bible and here's this man, Jesus. I believe he was our king, the Jewish Messiah, the king we've been waiting for. Here's what happened to him in his life and his death and his resurrection. And let me place that beside your Old Testament, beside your Old Testament scripture. and Let me show you how this fulfills that, how everything that that said has been proved. If I put it side by side, can you see it? Can you see it together? That's what preaching is. That's what Bible study is. I I am not here to pull rabbits out of a hat. I've said before. It's even harder to do it on camera than it is in a gathered room with people listening. Now my job is to say, here it is to 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 put to put this beside that and to say, can you see it, Christian Christian friends, brothers and sisters, believers today? Never fall into the trap of thinking that. Faith is blind faith. Faith is not based on reason, but it is not unreasonable. We didn't just make this up. No, it is based on evidence, on arguments, on explanations from the Bible, on proving that this leads to that and that leads to this. And so I just simply want to finish by letting these Berean believers, here in Acts chapter 17, verses 11 and 12, I want to let them ask you what they would find if they came to live with you in their home, in your home for a week. Imagine you were able to invite them into your newly formed social bubble. Would they find you examining the scriptures daily? Or merely listening weekly to me? What do you examine? What do you study? Netflix? YouTube? Your bank balance? Or you're probably very good, if you're like me, you're probably very good at examining the faults of the people you live with. We can remember all of those, couldn't we? We can list them. We know them all inside out, back to front. What am I preoccupied with? What do I meditate on? I think I know what my kids would say, my phone, our screens. That's what we examine, isn't it? The best analysis I have ever read of why it is that human beings now are walking around, not just sitting at our desk, but walking around all over the world all day long, constantly examining our screens. The best analysis I have ever heard says that the reason we are doing this is that they flatter us. They always promise instant communication somewhere someone out there needs us they have something to give just to us someone wants us someone has new information for us that we must have we must get it now and so we examine them we meditate on them and our screens instead of making us berean people deeply rooted fixed people screens are making us flighty aren't they and light short attention span people Remember that Will Ferrell tweet uh, I told us about a while ago? Before you choose, Will Will Ferrell tweeted a while ago, uh, before you choose to marry this person, ask yourself, is this the face of a person I want to see checking their phone for the rest of my life? Listen to Erasmus, a man who prepared a new translation of the Bible in the 16th century. He wrote this in the preface to the Greek New Testament. He wrote this. On these pages you will find the living Christ. Think about that. On the pages of the Bible you will find the living Christ and you will see him more clearly and more fully here than if he stood before your very eyes. Very important to be clear about that. The physical presence of the Lord Jesus Christ in front of people did not lead to universal acclaim to everybody knowing him, trusting him, believing him. No, it takes words about him. It takes explanation. On the pages of the Bible, you will see the living Christ and he will stand before you there in a clearer, more more understandable way than even if he stood before you, before your very eyes. It's an astonishing thing to say, isn't it? And yet it's true. It's why love for Christ and love for the Bible always, always go hand in hand. Love for Christ and love for the Bible Always go hand in hand and so I want to encourage you friends as you're listening and watching, deepen your delight in Jesus our King by deepening your delight in His Living Word. R.C. Sproul said there is an inseparable relationship between your affection for Christ and your affection for His Scriptures. An inseparable relationship between affection for Christ and affection for his, his scriptures. It is so, so true. Love one without the other. And you will not long love one. I want to encourage you today, friends. Don't be Thessalonian. Don't be Thessalonian. Don't agitate against following Jesus as King. Be Berean. Be Berean. When someone preaches to you a sermon like this very sermon that you're listening to, as you're watching, as you're listening, sit with open Bible, test it, weigh it, examine it. You know, your role, dear church family, your role as you listen is never to say, oh, David's speaking, it's David said it, it must be true, or Will says it, or Ben says it. We can trust them, we know them. Now, I hope you can trust us, of course, but you trust us by how much of what we say is true according to what the Bible says. Submit to Christ's rule and listen to Christ's voice and his voice only. Psalm 19, verse 7, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. By them is your servant warned, and in keeping them, there is great reward. You know, if somebody said, buried in Westburn Park. Buried in the park, under a tree, is one million pounds. Go and find it. It's yours if you find it. Wouldn't you be off like a flash, gone to get it? Oh, says the psalmist, Psalm 19. Oh, says Paul, as he opens the scriptures, in God's word there is greater treasure, greater treasure than that. Love him for his word, treasure him for his king, and listen to his voice all your days. Amen.